Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. We have returned to you in the year of 2012 for another episode of Two Developers Down Under. Very happy to be back and very happy to be back again with my mysteriously majestic partner in crime, Kai Koenig. Kai, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mark. Good morning and I hope you had a nice summer break. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a long break. We haven't we haven't been back for a couple of months, but uh, yeah, it was good to good to take some time off. And well, I think we did the last we did the last recording December after Christmas, actually, even after yeah. the Christmas holiday break. Um, so traditionally, obviously, in Australia, New Zealand, um, January and February are the summer month, and everyone is doing their summer holiday break thingy. Yep. <laughs> so we have a good excuse for not having recorded anything in the last two months, actually. Yeah, let's blame it on that. That sounds yeah. good. And, you know, how awesome is it that we start on the 29th of February, which is like a really, really rare day. Yeah, yeah. So today's a leap year. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So when I had a look for stuff that happened today, as we usually do to start off this awesome recording, um, it was quite funny because there is actually significantly less information on things yeah. that <laughs> happened on February 29th than on any other random day, basically, like, you know, roughly a fourth <laughs> of what you find on other days. And yeah, looking, I found it. Yeah. Did you get confused? Did you look at it and you went, why is there nothing happening today? Yeah, <laughs> I was today? actually. And I was like, ah, oh, that's not really a lot. And the, the years follow us a very weird pattern, actually. What's They're wrong funny, with that? that? <laughs> yeah. So what stuff did you find today? Oh, I didn't find anything exciting, really. So what I found, which is quite interesting, in 1964... Um, an Australian swimmer named Don Fraser oh, yes. set a new world record in 100-meter freestyle swimming. Ah. Um, and another thing... Oh, yeah, the island of Helgoland, uh, which is a German um, North Sea island, is basically returned back to Germany in 1952. Okay. The only two I've got that I think that are slightly interesting. Um, the first Playboy Club... Opens in 1960, Ooh. 52nd anniversary. Okay. And um, no idea who these people are, but Sarah Good and Tituba were arrested for witchcraft in 1692, the 320th anniversary. 1692, wow. Yeah. Yeah, they probably did something, you know, like heal somebody or, or, or look at somebody the wrong way or have discolored eyes or something, and yeah. they were witches. So. Burn them. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a funny day, isn't it? I mean, I always wondered what people who have their birthday on the February 29th would do on a day like that. I mean, I have, how... I have a friend who actually, whose birthday is today. Oh, really? So how yeah. does he celebrate his birthday? March 1st, generally, if it's not a leap year. Okay, so just a day later, basically. Yeah, yeah, but... I mean, I, I, I don't know, I personally, I'm not that fussed about my birthday at all. So I wonder if I would celebrate it at all. You know, I would probably just say like, eh, whatever. <laughs> celebrate your birthday. Birthdays are important. A good fun day. Mm. Yeah, you know, when I was, um, you know, on my way to 30, it was fun. When you're on your way to 40, it's like, ah, yeah, whatever. Uh, not that important just... anymore. I'm 31, you know. <laughs> 31? No, I'm not 31. <laughs> you know, I, I will be 31 for the rest of my life. It gave me a heart attack. I'm like, geez, I'm almost 32. What's going on here? <laughs> How did Kai suddenly become younger than me? I don't know. That's all good. Um, what I just actually found, and that's you know a life discovery, in that Wikipedia article I'm looking at, 
um, right now on February 29th, there's a paragraph. Let me read that. Um, in, in the UK and Hong Kong, a person born on February 29th legally attains the age of 18 on March 1st in the relevant year. Fine, that makes sense, right? In cases of New Zealand citizens, the NZ Parliament has decreed that if a date of birth was February 29, in non-leap years, the legal birth date shall be the preceding day, the 28th. Okay. So So if you turn 18 or whatever, 21 or something like that, in a non-leap year, you actually get it a day earlier than you are supposed to. In New Zealand. You you knew crazy New Zealanders. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Apparently, it's special enough to be mentioned in that Wikipedia article, so I assume the rest of the world is doing it differently. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So, in the uh, in the time that we've been off the air, small thing happened. Um, really? Probably should talk a little bit about it. The beta, the public beta for Cold Fusion 10 came out. Oh, you mean Cold Fusion Next? Yes, or Zeus, or whatever else you want to call it. Interesting. Yeah, I have heard of that actually. It was yeah, you, just a, it's good that you've heard of it. Yeah, being it, was, an it was just like two or three weeks ago, the public beta, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. So where can so. keep where can people get that? I would assume from labs.adobe.com, most likely, if someone's interested in grabbing so. it. Did you did you have you looked at it? I actually haven't looked there. At the public beta side, I don't know. No, I haven't. I just assume it will be on. Cold Fusion, uh, a subfolder of labs.adobe.com somewhere. Now, they also came out with Cold Fusion, uh, Cold Fusion Builder Beta. You say that three times quickly. Um, at the same time, which I believe they uh, nicknamed Twister. Yeah, which is not really a new release of Cold Fusion Builder, though. It is pretty much like a dot release, like a 2.1 or 2.01 or something like that, to support... Cold Fusion 10 and add yep. a few bug fixes. Yeah, so so we're not well, looking at Cold Fusion Builder 2.5 or 3 or anything like that, from my yeah. understanding. Yeah, so yeah, you're completely right. I mean, we're both on pre- we're both on the the pre-release, so we I'm not, I very rarely actually look at labs for Cold Fusion stuff these days. Um, I'm being a being an ACP and stuff, but uh, yeah. So if you go to labs.adobe.com. Uh, slash technology slash cold fusion 10 you'll be on the page to to download this stuff and have a look if you probably have already i must say so uh shall we shall we go through some of the features so i'll go through the features that are that are new and and talk about whether we think they're exciting and stuff yeah we can do that that sounds like a fun plan okay so so should we what document are we guiding ourselves along just we have a a pdf cool so the new features document you're enhanced so some of these people already know, but obviously uh, we've got more information now that we've actually got it sitting here and, and had a play with it. So uh, we have a bit of a bit of a chat about each of them. So yeah, we've we've known for quite a while. Uh, Tomcats replaced JRun. Yay! Finally. Finally, um, I know that's probably pretty happy for you, considering I think uh, you do a lot more lower level server side stuff than I do. Um, you you done much work with JRun before? Yeah, I'm basically doing work with JRun all the time, unfortunately. You know, as soon as you get below the CFML language and look into stuff like performance optimization and, you know, setting up clusters and things like that, it's pretty much, you're doing it on the, on the 
stay on level really yeah. at the end of the day. And you, when you do that, you feel its age. That's really what it is. You know, it's not a bad application server. It had its time, which was like six years ago or something like that. But it's, you know, it's time that they've moved on and, you know, base Cold Fusion 10 on Tomcat now. And yeah. what I found particularly exciting about that is that they um, are pushing out Tomcat 7 with Cold Fusion 10, which is really nice because um, I think there was discussion originally that it might be Tomcat 6, and I wouldn't okay. have liked that very much, to be honest. Why not? Oh, again, Tomcat 6 is not, like, you know, a bad platform, um, but Tomcat 7 is out there for probably nearly a year now, I would think. And, you know, if you make that make that leap, you really want to want to base it on the most modern version of Tomcat you can get, from my point of view. Are there any features of Tomcat 7 that you particularly appreciate or anything like that? Have you played with it much at all? Um, with standalone Tomcat? No, not really a lot. Um, I come across Tomcat regularly and also JBoss when you deal with other... Adobe technologies. So yep. Adobe um, Adobe Connect, for example, runs on Tomcat as well. And the whole lifecycle product suite runs, you know, by default at least on JBoss. Um, and, you know, it's just easier to do that and then to, to have, you know, like a, a standard application server platform below your product than having to deal with JRun in, you know, in the instance of Cold Fusion. And with, with Adobe Connect in particular, I'm pretty sure it runs still on Tomcat 6 from what I can remember, even the latest version. And yep. that's, you know, that's just sort of annoying. You know, it's not really going with the innovation and going with latest releases. And what, what they've done in Tomcat 7 in particular, I mean, for Java developers, Tomcat 7 has a whole lot of new things. But yeah. they've basically, um, from 6 to 7, I think they, they updated some Surflet APIs and made things a bit more up to scratch on the Tomcat level as well. And, you know, that's just fine. I'm a big fan of being, going with modern technology. You know, and if it's if it was me, I would probably ask Adobe to, for each Cold Fusion release, come up, you know, bundle the, the latest Tomcat, they, the latest yeah. major release of Tomcat they can get and not get stuck on Cold Fusion 7 for the next three Cold Fusion releases. Uh, on, not, sorry, on Cold Tomcat Fusion 7. 7. Tomcat 7 for the next yep. three Cold Fusion releases because that would sort of be counterproductive, really. Yep. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I've I've set up um, I've set up called call, getting version numbers messed up in my head. Uh, I've set up Cold Fusion Ten under Apache, and uh, I think the only difference I had was I had an extra line in my V hosts. You know, that yeah, was it. And basically, what? the the hook into Apache works a bit differently because with mm. JRun it had that uh, what was it called mod JRun. Like yeah, it, yeah. And I think they're using a standard mechanism, the mod JK, um, now, which which yeah. is basically, I don't know exactly what the technology is, but it's a standard way of connecting to Apache from a Java-based application server, yeah. which makes it a bit again a bit nicer, and you get away from that magic black box mod J run, which you can't where you can't look into, you have no idea what it's doing and why it's exactly. doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was really easy to install, put it in. Drop that single line in my vhost file, and I was way to go, which was great. Yeah, and I mean, realistically, you know, running Cold Fusion on Tomcat is not new. I've done that yeah. with with Cold Fusion eight and Cold Fusion nine before. Um, not in production environments, really, because it was never officially supported for production. 
but it's quite easy to do at the end of the day, really. It's not hard. I think what makes it new with Cold Fusion 10 is that it's really the default install. And yeah. that it's bundled together in quite a nice way. And then in, that in particularly the integration with Apache is done much, much nicer compared to, you know, doing your home homebrew build of ColdFusion on Tomcat and, and Apache and trying to mingle all together. Yeah, I also like the fact that now um, it's you haven't got the two two separate installs. You haven't got the, what is it, with a, a multi-server and then, uh, what was the other version? I'm just uh, totally blanked. There's like standalone, multi-server, and, you know, writing out an enterprise yeah. or web archive file. So now you only have the one file structure, so there's no standalone multi-server. It's all just basically multi-server, and either you, you have the capability to multi-server or not, yeah. um, which means you don't have to look in two different possible places depending on what your setup is, which is nice. Yeah, that's a really good thing. The other thing, what I think will be interesting is a lot of people who just, you know, maybe got used to how the configuration structure is, how the file structure is, how every where everything is set, basically, uh, will have to get used to that new layout in Tomcat. To be fair, it's not that dramatically different, yeah. but a few things have changed, right? I mean, for example, there is still that uh, the CFusion folder, which contains pretty much all of the individual items that are relevant to ColdFusion, and there is still your yeah. Java runtime environment folder, and, you know, it's... It's quite straightforward, but for someone who's not doing that regularly, it can be probably quite daunting to say, like, uh, where's my blah, 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 XML? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, so we'll see how that goes when people start to migrate to ColdFusion 10, really, for their environments. Yeah, so that should be kind of interesting. Um, okay, so kicking on down the list, uh, we've got a slew of security enhancements, uh, including a bunch of methods for cross-site scripting attacks. Um, so, have you actually played with those security enhancements and looked into those a bit more? Because they are using OWASP now, right? Yep. The Open Web Application Security Project. Yep. Um, but I've never had a chance to actually play with what exactly they've done to improve the security for ColdFusion 10. Well, they're, they're handy, I think. Um, if you've... Uh, I have not used them personally because I don't, I don't use... Uh, I've not used OWASP especially, but um, I don't have... What am I looking for? I don't have a site where I'm taking a lot of user-generated input and outputting it to screen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which I think these sort of things are really useful for because um, that's just not the systems I've been working on in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you have something like that, I think this is perfect, obviously. You can just dump it straight out there. Um, I know OWASP gives you the capability to use different profiles, like if you're using a library but by hand. Um, I don't think... From looking at it, CF actually exposes that they're using a particular profile. I don't know which one, um, but I can see that being very useful to be able to say, you know, encode for HTML or encode for HTML attribute if you're taking user-generated stuff. So that's I think that is pretty good um, for those who. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if there are any particular differences between you know how you can do like HTML edit format, whether or not that has certain attack vectors that don't exist in say encode for HTML attribute. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, those functions that are documented there, like encode for HTML, encode for JavaScript, encode for CSS. Yeah. Um, how? What, what I'm wondering really is how would they be continuously updated? I mean, obviously, at you know at release point of ColdFusion 10, they would have a certain version of a WASP 
in the product yeah. right so do you think or have you had did you have a look into if it's possible to you know influence what it. what's happened what happens behind those functions basically by throwing in a new version of the OWASP libraries or something like that in theory it should work i would like to think if there's a security vulnerability that shows up because of you know this is not it's not handling it because there's a new version of OWASP or something they'd release a hotfix i'd like to think that yeah they would do that but that obviously will take a bit of time right i mean it's yeah. Adobe is still a quite large organization and a traditional development cycle organization. So probably, you know, until you get a hotfix, at least a few weeks would would pass Pass. from my experience with hotfixes at least. And, um, you know, that might or might not be good enough, particularly if you you know that OWASP potentially has already fixed the issue. Yeah. So, So, you know, it may be worth testing out seeing how uh, if you could drop in the latest version see if that still works and how it, in, how it integrates yeah yeah but it should be interesting um, uh, they've got some stuff around session cookies um, they make them HTTP only secure is false by default um, you can set the domain timeout all the usual stuff yeah that's actually quite interesting you know like with cookies in general I had a quite funny experience the other day and I need to tell you that actually it's independent of Cold Fusion 10, but you know I I was I was sort of stunned really when I set a cookie with Cold Fusion, right? Yep. What it will do, I mean, cookies have to, maybe to explain that cookies have a whole bunch of attributes like for example the domain, um, they have some sort of an expiry date, and they yep. also have a thing called a path, for which yep. directory path they are valid in your application. So what I realized actually the other day is that if I set a cookie with Cold Fusion, it will set it to the domain fine, that's all good, but it will always set the path to slash, to root. So the cookie, okay, yep. the cookie I set by default with Cold Fusion will be valid for the whole application. Yep. And which is, again, fine or a problem. And there is a path attribute right now in CF Cookie where you can actually modify the path under certain under certain circumstances. Yep. But what I didn't realize is I was using a jQuery library to set a cookie from JavaScript. Like it was like a login, oh, yeah, yeah. login form, you know, someone ticked a checkbox, like remember me and I wanted to just set a cookie right away and not not on the next server request. Mm-hmm. But that library was actually setting by default the path of the cookie to actually the path that file the call for the, the 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 path of the, the URL, yeah, the script yeah, yeah. name basically. And then I was trying to access that cookie from the main application with Cold Fusion, and I couldn't find it. It, it just didn't do it. I didn't find <laughs> yeah, it. And it took me like an hour of crazy debugging until I had the idea to actually use Firebox Cookie Tab. Have a look at the cookies. And then I thought, ah, oh, actually, that has a totally different path. Yep. And you know, it's one of those things which is so embedded in our minds like oh you said a cookie and it just works yeah that i even didn't even have the idea to look at the details of the cookie because i thought what the hell is wrong in here you know why wouldn't that work (laughs) and why would it set a different path basically so that was an interesting lesson to be learned actually and then it happened to me a few days later and again i I started to look around why is that isn't that working but then after five minutes i remembered ah i had that actually just last week just before (laughs) yeah it's always one of those little things where you're like oh if i'd only just put in a plus or um something like that you know Mm -hmm. or i've got a semicolon at the end of an if statement 
<laughs> you spend three hours trying to debug. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Stuff like that. Um, so there's a couple of interesting ones in here. There's a couple of methods: session invalidate and session rotate. Yeah, what is session rotate actually? I haven't seen that. So uh, basically, session rotate is uh, for whatever reason you want to give somebody a new CFIDE and CF token. Ah, so l logging someone out and logging them in right away, pretty much. Well, yeah, it creates a new session, copies the data across, and validates the old one, so it gets rid of it and chucks it away. Ah, it so it, it copies actually the data across. Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, does the same thing with client storage as well as sessions. Um, it's it's quite cute. I think it's really quite nice, especially if you've got. Um, uh, I've I've actually seen it uh, in an application I'm working on where. People pick attack vectors because they're like, I know this session ID and this session token. Um, so they're like, I'll just keep hitting the site using it and see if I can pick up a user and, and details and stuff. Okay. Um, so you, we've written code where it's like, you know, if you hit this particular one, which we know we know is an, a known attack vector, and then we'll just rotate you out to something else. Um, we do it by hand because we manage our own sessions. But um, the same thing would apply here. You know, you just drop it and rotate it, and you go, okay, cool. We'll just rotate you off to someone else, or possibly even just invalidate it, which they have here as well. We'll just session invalidate. Um, okay, so there is a little note um, in session invalidate, which says, the session invalidate method does not invalidate the underlying J2EE session. So that basically... Where does it say that? In the documentation of session invalidate, actually, in the detailed documentation. The PDF we're looking at, it would be on page 27. I don't see it. Really? I'm totally no. surprised. Um, yeah, it says, well, like, clearly the document I'm looking at, it's saying exactly that. You know, the session invalidated method does not un invalidate the underlying J2E session. Oh, so I see it. It would oh, just do that on the cold fusion session level. But what would what do you think would happen if you were to run J2E sessions in the first place? So that's uh, quite interesting. Well, I think it says invalidates or cleans up the current session. So it may just clear out all the data on that particular that uh, particular, particular ID, which means you're probably logging yourself out. If that's what your what your system probably uses it for. Mm, okay. Um, you're probably better off rotating someone else to a new session. So if someone's got an attack vector in on a particular ID, just rotate them to a new session. They get a whole new session. Um, actually, no, you probably don't want to rotate them because you don't want to copy the data across. Probably invalidating them makes sense. Log them out. Just take them out of the picture. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and then they'll, they'll, they'll get something clear. You could actually invalidate and then rotate, which probably makes even more sense. So they get a whole new ID and token, but they have no data to use, and so they have to log in, which then they can't. That makes life really hard for them. Okay. There is another interesting new thing, um, CF cookie support in CF script. Yeah. Good I to have. Yeah, I haven't seen that, actually. I mean, personally, I would so love to have, <laughs> again, you know, like have CF script or any script language be like a first citizen language, finally, in ColdFusion. Yeah, but you know we're still not getting that apparently. Getting there slowly, slowly. Yeah, it is. But you know, you find yourself still writing tech-based code for a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I, I find myself. No, I do. I, it's interesting. I find certain types of objects are write tag-based, and certain types of objects are write script-based. You know, if I'm running um, services or gateways, I tend to write them in tag-based because if I need to dip down into something like um, just trying to think if I'm writing CF query or yeah. anything along those lines, or or mail or anything like that. Um, then I totally do that. Um, business objects, I kind of sometimes have script. Um, what I might do 
is I'll go uh, see if component tag top and bottom and then just see if script inside it and then do all my functions inside that. So if I need to jump out, I can. Yeah, that is actually quite interesting because um, I find myself not writing script-based components at all. I all I always do it exactly the same way as you said. I write a CF component tag and mm. then inside my functions, I write a lot of CF script. That's fine. But um, the component wrapper is still always be in um, in tags, just that I have the opportunity to do other things. Yeah, if I function, want to. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, what I find, I mean, we're doing a lot of fuse box coding. Um, and what I find is in a lot of action files, which some, you know, some of them might be legacy code or legacy mm. code we just took over into a fuse box structure at some point. I pretty much write all of those in script. Okay. Because the you know the data retrieval layer is obviously separated yeah. from the from the model and the action on the action layer basically, and um, you know for that type of flow code like you know calling something here, calling something there, throwing it into another function, getting another result, script is just perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. So moving along, um, confusion and web sockets. This is kind of interesting just because A, WebSockets are interesting and B, because WebSockets are such a moving target. Yeah, um, totally. It's really interesting to see this is actually in there at all, to be honest. Um, have you done any work with WebSockets? Um, nothing beyond prototypes. But okay. we are doing... Oh, I've got some prototype that I want to finish at some point for one of my larger clients where we... Are going to use WebSockets for sort of a chat-based technology, and yep. you know for that stuff it obviously makes perfect sense. Um, I think it's quite cute what they're what they're doing with um, if if WebSockets aren't supported by your browser, they fall back to Flash. Um, See, that's so funny because yesterday we had um, our local user group here in Wellington, um, yep. the Web Tech, Adobe Web Technology Meetup, what we are called nowadays, and um, we were talking about animation in Flash versus animation in HTML, JavaScript, right? Yeah. Like tools like Adobe Edge or video in Flash versus video in HTML5. And you find that in a lot of places nowadays that Flash has become sort of the fallback technology. And in WebSockets, it's just another example, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, people, people use Flash as a fallback solution and that's really what it is. I was talking to some guys yesterday about you know like building those advertisement banners or marketing banners with html based animation technologies like a tool like adobe edge or tumult hype or sencha animator yeah. or something like that and someone asked me like oh what do you do you know is there a way to check um if the animation is supported on browser xyz i said no but you know my recommendation would be you use modernizer and then you implement a fallback for like stuff like ie6 and either yeah. surf a static image or surf a flash, <laughs> flash banner or something like that. And, you know, it's so funny how the role of flash has changed in the last six months, really. It's just yeah. insane. Suddenly it becomes uh, the fallback technology, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, no, that's good fun. I'm, uh, I'm writing my presentations at the moment in... Um, uh, HTML5 format, uh, what is it? It's uh, impress.js. Yeah, I know that. Mm -hmm. Which I'm having a lot of fun with, which is great. But uh, it's really interesting 
It's actually exposed me a lot more to what's possible with CSS3. Uh, I remember you're the I don't believe in CSS guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I still hate CSS. Don't get me wrong. You it's you awful. Can't, you can't do multiple columns in CSS, though I hate it. <laughs> yeah, no, I still hate it. But, you can't um, do multiple columns, you know that. Yeah, CSS3 is not, is not too bad, but... um. Oh, I'm still having my issues with with doing some animation stuff in CSS3, but it's good. It's it's interesting and good fun to see, you know, what's what's possible. You know, I can do stuff in 3D. I can do animations. I can do all sorts of stuff, um, which is fun. I mean, it's kind of cool, um, and it's it's nice being able to have that sort of at your fingertips. Yeah, and I'm enjoying I'm enjoying working with Impress, which is good fun. So, yeah, I mean, the the problem with CSS3 animation in particular is really the lack of support across different browsers. So I'm yeah. you know, when, when it comes to web standards animation or whatever you want to call it, I'm rather using a library like jQuery to do the animation and the, the effects in, yeah, in, in web applications. Obviously, if you use the, yeah. you know, Impress, it's a different story. But in yeah, general... Yeah, because I'll use it on Chrome. You know, I know, yeah. I know my platform, so I can just yeah, sit there. Yeah, so that's perfectly right. fine, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, the tooling's not there like you would have in Flash. Like, I can't do, like, the, you know... It's, well, actually, I don't know if that's true. It may be there. But um, you know, I don't I don't have an editor or anything like that. I'm doing you know all CSS transformation properties myself, and you know CSS animation stuff by hand, and you know so you got to kind of do it all, all for yourself. So see what you could do. Um, you could use a tool like Edge or Hype, and use yeah. basically one of those tools to create your presentation. Basically, I mean, it wouldn't use Impress yeah. then, but yeah. you know, if you want to have a tool, that's definitely what those two tools can do for you, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even though they are early stages and you know not as powerful as Flash ever was mm -hmm. yet, but yeah. But no, I'm liking I'm liking using Impress for for presentations just because I it, I can write it in CFM code, so I can write it in Confusion code, which means I can do includes, I can do all that sort of fun stuff, and yeah. then I can do Ajax stuff as well. So yeah. you know, I can what I'm actually doing, which is fun, is I've set it up so that I can actually you know I've got a custom tag that points to one of my Confusion example files and then just renders that on screen for me. Yeah, that's quite nice. And I can, then I can hit a button and it takes that as an Ajax request and runs it. Yeah. It displays that on screen. So I get, I've got really nice interactive slides, which I'm really enjoying. Cool. But, yes, that's all That's all good fun. Um, moving along from there, though, where's a, there's a whole bunch of language enhancements. Um, there's a whole list here. Let's not go through them all. What's, what's some ones that uh, particularly jump out at you is... Uh, uh, I'm just actually looking through the list. So, I quite like the um, getting application metadata, that's useful. I that really is like totally useful, I agree. Um, um, even just what, for debugging, if nothing else. Yeah, what I also think is useful is um, array slice, as tiny as it is. And I mean, you know, you yeah. could. I, I always did that with the Java array functions because at the end of the day, a confusion array is really a Java array. So that always yep. worked. But yep. it's nice to have a clean function and not having to go to, you know, using Java notation and That's using true. a hack, basically. Um, um, the other thing which I really find nice is method chaining for CFC methods. Yeah, that that's cool. is really more than overdue, to be honest, <laughs> I think. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Particularly because I'm so used to doing that from JavaScript and ActionScript. And it was yeah. always driving me nuts that it you know, n didn't work in ColdFusion, basically. Um, I quite like the, uh, the implicit notation for properties. 
So being able to say, you know, a person dot first name rather than person dot get first name or dot set first name. Um, I quite like that a lot for if you're if you're dealing with um, some sort of data structures, you can actually then just switch out objects for structs quite nicely without the underlying code need to worry about it at all. Yeah. So that's the that new property setter true and false, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, what are they? The, yeah, you add in something to the component. Oh, uh, yeah, invoke implicit accessor um, in application.cfc, which is quite nice. I quite like that. Uh, was there anything else that particularly? Um, we do think about the like implicit struct support now supports uh, colons rather than just equals. Um, it doesn't really make much difference to me at the no, end of the day because I, I use implicit notation when I create structs and arrays anyway nowadays. Yeah. I mean, since Confusion 9, basically. Um, and, you know, I'm used to it. And if, if it's an equal sign or a colon, it doesn't really bother me that much. Yeah. The colon makes it nicer for people who are used to write JSON. And that's fair enough. But it's nothing that is like a major thing for me. Probably the two other ones I really like. Finally, we got a, an invoke in CFScript because that used to drive yes. me absolutely bananas. Um, and the other one I really like is support for XPath 2 and XSLT2. Yeah, I have to say I haven't used XPath and XSLT for quite a while, so I wouldn't even know what's new in version two. I use, two I use, I use uh, XPath a lot. We deal a lot with uh, web services that return XML packets and things like that. Um, so I do that on a regular basis. So having XPath two is going to make that useful. It's so gonna what, be hand. what is new in XPath two? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. Uh, yeah, exactly. I can't remember. <laughs> I've stepped <laughs> my head. I know I've looked at it in the past and gone, "Geez, that'd be useful right now." Um, but I'm actually trying to think of an example, and I can't, which is really embarrassing. Um, I'd have to have a look. But I know that there's, there's all sorts of interesting ways of getting at data. And um, I'm just looking at an example here where you can actually pass in parameters uh, directly. So you can actually, like, very much like you would be like HCRL or, or, or a query. You know, you can uh, drop Okay, I'm looking at the same example now. I yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at that example. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Um, it's, uh, it gives you just some new new uh, new tools on your tool belt for being able to get through you XML, could, which is not a bad thing. You could probably achieve the same thing, particularly with the parameters, though, by just creating a dynamic search string. A you dynamic could. search expression yeah, with yeah. Confusion it's just, tools. It's just extra work. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more functions and, and selectors and things like that being able to get the data you want, um, and so it's nice having that, I think. So uh, the next one is is always something that I'm I'm very happy about, and I've been talking about a bit a bit. A bit. Oh, me too. Um, I really like that. Closures. <laughs> Yay! And what's interesting to see, and I, and I figured this would happen, but um, uh, there have been some really great articles. What a few by um, Ben Adele, um, who I particularly want to highlight. Actually, he's done a really nice job of of talking about closures. But I'm seeing a lot more people starting to look at more functional programming stuff, mm -hmm. just because now closures exist to make that a little bit easier to do, which is great. Um, my experience is, is not as much with, with the functional side of things. It's something I've been meaning to read more about. But um, using it in a, in a few other languages, particularly in Groovy, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, particularly excited by, by the use of closures. I think it's uh, going to change a few things about how people write code, which is exciting. So, I mean, some people say they have put closures into Cold Fusion just for you, Mark, because you are the only person who still writes frameworks, right? 
So is that true? <laughs> well, A, it's not true that I'm the only person who writes frameworks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, if they put it in just for me, good. I really don't care. Uh, um, but no, I mean, for example, the other day, if you follow Mark Escher on Twitter, he, uh, he, he posted a little, a little teaser to it. He's writing a BDD framework, a behavior-driven development framework uh, that I'm going to assume is built on top of XUnit, MXUnit. I actually have no idea. Yeah. Uh, that uses closures that looks pretty exciting. Um, I think we'll see a, a lot of stuff. I think even just day-to-day, you know, there, there are so many use cases for closures um, in just day-to-day programming that make life so much easier that I think it's, yeah, I think it's going to change the way a lot of people write some code, which I think is really, really cool. Um, I think people are going to be like, oh, it's just closures. And I've said this before, it's just closures, whatever. And then they're suddenly going to be like, oh, wait, I could use this here. This is really cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, particularly um, things like coming up with your own functions and passing in other functions to do whatever filtering or sorting or something yeah, like that for like that type of stuff yeah it's so it's, handy it's, actually it's so handy and um, that, that's really an all day use of closures you know where, yeah. which people are just not aware that they could do that with cold fusion now everyone thinks oh closures is like a you know an abstract construct to allow people to write more complicated code it's not really it, it no. has a lot of all day uses yeah I mean it's I think I think um it's sort of, and, and I, I'm, I see if objective this year, I'm doing a presentation on it, but I think it kind of falls into two things. There's one, there's um, removing code, so it's like making things less verbose, um, whether there's certain software patterns or certain certain uh, boilerplate code or, or things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it also comes into, you know, it can just be a better tool in your tool, in your tool belt, you know. There are just some things that are just way easier to do with closures than they are any other way. You can still do them the other way. Yeah, totally. Uh, but they just it just makes life you know so much easier to get to those those sort of things uh, and I think the other thing is a lot of people who today write JavaScript and jQuery code, they pretty much use a very similar methodology you know of closures in cold fusion yeah. in their jQuery code every day without even knowing that it's called closures yeah, exactly yeah so uh, I don't think it will be too hard for people to get their head around that stuff no, not at all, and I think it's going to be something that's going to become a a, a a use case that people are going to do a lot of. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm personally, I'm super excited that, um, you know, I can now try to do more functional things actually yeah. in CFML, which is quite cool. It's quite cool. So yeah, we'll see that coming up, coming up a bit more. So, and uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting, I think. Um, the enhanced Java integration, which we all knew was coming... You're just trying to avoid that topic because they stole a library from you. Well, by stole, <laughs> oh, no, I mean. no, they didn't steal a library. They um, implemented another open source project of yours. Yes, exactly. I have to come up with a new one just so they can steal something else. Yeah. Um, yeah so, uh, yeah. Well, I helped them do it, so I'm not going to complain too much. I think. I think it's actually going to be interesting. I think there's still going to be a lot of people using Java Loader. Um, particularly people like framework authors and stuff, uh, the way this works, you have to define your your paths to your jar files and things like that in your application.cfc. Yeah. So that means, you know, if you're, not, if you're a framework developer, you can't really leverage that. Um, Java Loader also has some other fun stuff and it's got dynamic compilation um, and some other bits and pieces in it. I just did a release the other day uh, with, some, with some utilities around class loaders and whatnot. Um, so, I, you know, I, I can see that still, still living on with people doing stuff with it. But uh, it's cool that it's, it's built in. Um, I'm always a big fan of... They've actually finally documented the CFC proxy they wrote like a million years ago. It's now part of the documentation, which I think is really good. 
which means okay. it's supported. Um, but I'm particularly, I, I also like the um, the dynamic proxy stuff that's built in. I think that's really nice. Um, that opens up a whole new world of doing some fun stuff with with Core Fusion and and uh, and Java. Yeah. But uh, yeah, more lately, I've been actually also thinking about a lot with uh, Barney Boivier's um, CF Groovy project and doing some work with that in terms of getting Groovy to talk to CFML as well. So I'm gonna I might, might head down that road at some point soon as well. But that's that's a side note. Hmm, interesting. I have, I have some interesting ideas in that. I have to sit down and do them. I have too many projects to work on. <laughs> yeah, you have to pay for your dog and your wife and your house. So yeah. Well, there's that too. Well, there's all yeah. paid work. But I have yeah, there's yeah. There, I've. A list of open source stuff as long as my arm that I need to get done. I've got two GitHub pull requests that I need to integrate and various things. Yeah, but it's good fun. Okay, cool. So, ColdFusion ORM Search. Have you used this at all? No, and it doesn't excite me much, but I know it excites you. No, actually, it doesn't. I have doesn't? to be honest. No, it doesn't. No, I'm, I, I've ranted on about how much I love Solo because I think Solo is awesome, but ColdFusion ORM Search doesn't show any... Like, it's like... It's such like this small, tiny part of what Solar can do that I'm just like, Ugh. oh, sorry, actually, sorry, I, I actually, no, I'm talking about the wrong thing. It's the ColdFusion ORM search, which is slightly different. Um, I assume it's probably powered by Hibernate search behind the scenes. Um, does this excite me? Uh, I don't know. If I was going to do this, to be honest, um, probably end up doing it a solar backed I'm expecting that it was Hibernate search powered which I haven't touched in a really long time but the last time I used it was powered by Lucene so it's a flat file index that's mm -hmm. then indexable um, which probably works quite well I think for probably your smaller indexes um, if this is actually behind the scenes powered by solar I'd be really be really nice actually but I don't think it is um, I'd probably end up just implementing my own in, in solar so I can scale it um, but yeah, fair enough. I do a lot of solar stuff anyway, and you know, to to write this wouldn't be. I'd probably hand tweak the hell out of it anyway, so it scales really nicely. Um, I yeah. think I think if this starts, people start putting a lot of data in this. If it's built the way I think it is, people are going to start running into issues. Um, I but, you uh, know, the funny thing is, I'm 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 still a non-believer in ORM, right? For for a, at least for a certain type of applications I work on. Because I still think ORM is um, sort of a performance drag, and you know it works for a certain class of applications really well. Mm. But if you want to get that last bit of performance, and if you want to get like I don't know, like if you have lots of queries which are really complex and really, but that's um, aggregate data. That's you know, that's that's where you should be using SQL. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, you know, most of or you know my my larger client basically, mm. what they do you know it is really important that the query if we can save five milliseconds in the query time, yeah, we'll do that. Doesn't matter how ugly the query is afterwards, you know, because it's yeah. worth it. But depending on your application too, you know, you can really you can hybridize this sort of stuff. If you if you've got a mainly read only system, you know, if you you could do all your inserts and updates, you know, using ORM, which is not a big deal. And then when you go to pull everything out, you do it queries, whatever, you know, whatever is the fastest, you know. So there, there are definitely ways that you can leverage stuff. We do a lot of that stuff um, where, where I'm working at the moment, and, you know, so that, that we have that, we have the power when we need it, which makes life easy for us when we're doing updates and stuff. But we're so read-only so read in a lot of what we do. Most of the stuff we're looking at is all cached up the wazoo anyway, or flattened okay. in a, in a yeah. denormalized tables and all sorts of fun stuff that way. So, so 
would you say there is a certain threshold or a certain, you know, like boundary from which onwards it's worth or not worth using or using ORM instead of pretty much writing everything in SQL in stored procedures? Um, no, I think it comes to a case by case basis. To be honest, okay, uh, it depends on your caching implementation. It depends on your persistence implementation. Um, depends on whether you're drawing stuff in line or whether you want to load stuff in AJAX behind the scenes. Um, it depends on you know your business rules. You know, do you need something fast to get out there just to get it done and get it you know get it out there so that your business can start making money? You know, or does you know can you take an extra time that you may not have? But two by hand, you know, there's there's so many factors to these sort of things. Um, you know, obviously, ORM gives you development time up front, but there is a performance overhead, of course. Um, but you know, if you use it wisely and 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 nicely, you know, that may not be that that big a deal. Um, if you put a caching layer in front of it, or or a caching layer in front of your HTML generated, you know, you can mitigate that as well. You know, there's so many things to it. It's it's all about you know how you architect your application. Fair enough. I think we, you know, maybe we should have at some point a longer discussion on the pros and cons of ORM. Sure. I think we have sort of like quite opposite opinions on that. That would be interesting. We should have like a, yeah. a neutral judge who stops us from fighting yeah. each other. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting too. It really, I think it, I mean, just to kind of de-enter a little bit, I mean, it really depends on what your application is and what you're doing. I mean, yeah. with the stuff that I've been doing a lot of, you know, we could be pulling data from the database. We could be pulling data from solar indexes. We could be pulling data from MongoDB. Um, and we've kind of tailored each bit of what we're doing to each data persistence collection specifically for that purpose. And so, you know, you could be using RM, you could be pulling data from Redis, you could be pulling data from, you know, MongoDB or CatchDB or, or you know, so many different persistence strategies out there. You know, you could just be storing flat files in an S3 store on Amazon, which is something Amazon does. Um, you know, so, <laughs> you know, you could be doing so many different things that really are so specific to your business needs and application architecture that, yeah, there there's there's use cases all over the shop. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, we just continue in all continue this? Continue in the list. Okay, yeah. so what I was talking about before were solar enhancements, <laughs> which I, I got myself confused on. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, as I was saying before, uh, the solar stuff in, in RM, uh, it's great that it's there. Uh, it makes search a little bit easier. Um, you know, as you get deeper into search and you're doing more stuff with search and really want to tweak and scale search, I think, you know, running your own instance of solar makes so much more sense. You have so much more control over it. Um, I think you can pretty much tweak what's in CF. I actually run, we run our own on a Jetty server and it's really easy to set up. There's a, there's a Java API, which is used by CF under the hood. Load that up with Java Loader and, and, and hack at it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to use in that way once you kind of wrap your head around it and how it works. Solar is a great beast. Um, it does a lot. And I just, yeah, I don't know. It's cool. I'm glad they're doing it. Um, the inclusion of the data import handler is pretty good, which makes indexing a lot easier. Um, but yeah, just doesn't doesn't rock my socks, I guess. Okay, That's fair cool. enough. Um, then we have scheduler enhancements. I think they are quite interesting, actually. Yeah. There is a whole bunch of stuff um, which allows you to do more complex scheduling, and they're using quartz behind the scenes now, which yeah. is... Again, a good, a really good thing and a really good move from my point. Long overdue. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is this, this is an interesting one, isn't it? I know mean, you can do like groupings and chaining and. Yeah, the, the chaining part that's particularly interesting to me personally. Just if you have like a whole bunch of complex nightly tasks you want to run, 
you know, and they depend on each other and stuff like that. That makes it quite nice to just set up all yeah. those dependent on each other. Uh, and I think it's nice also to be able to, uh, there's a cluster setup option, which has always been the interesting one. Yeah, I haven't tried that actually yet. I haven't had a closer look. What yeah. is it exactly doing? You can run uh, cluster setups. Uh, features include load balancing and job failover. A single application can have both clustered as well as non-clustered setup. Okay, yeah. it sounds interesting, but I haven't had a look at it yet. I haven't looked at it too much either, but I can I could see that being useful. Hopefully, it means you could you could distribute your workload quite nicely, which would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Um, so that's that's I, I can see that being particularly useful for particular for some people. Um, I know I know there's plenty of people out there who have built their own sort of queuing systems or job queues um, around around scheduler and stuff, just basically so they could do similar things to this. So I think uh, I think this probably could be quite useful to people. Um, I wonder actually. I know in the current CF scheduler, you can only run it every. I think it's every minute. I think that's the smallest time interval yes. that you can possibly do it. I wonder if that's been reduced. I'm not quite sure if it has. Have a quick yeah, look. Interval seconds. No, it doesn't say. Okay, I wonder if they've changed that. Might have to have a play. Because that'd be quite interesting. Connecting to Microsoft Exchange Server 2010 does not excite me in the slightest, but that's only not because it's nothing with Exchange. Exactly, and I don't even <laughs> want to get close to that. Uh, well, I wanted to ask you, what do you think of those new functions in the section scheduler enhancements, like get system free memory, get system total memory, get CPU usage? Um, I'm not quite sure how they're scheduler enhancements, to be honest. Um, I think, but <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but I think they, you know, they might be in there because they in, they are intended to be used in the scheduler like you know for example you could say uh, i want to run a certain schedule task if the cpu load over the last 5 minutes is below 20% or something like that because then i have the okay. spare resources that's why i think they position them there and i have Wait. to personally say i think that's the only use case where i would use any of those functions because if i want to do system metrics i do proper system metrics and i don't use a function in my app yeah yeah. But that, uh, that's just me. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Cool. I'm glad it's there. Get CPU usage. I wonder how they're doing that. I know how to get the memory through underlying Java code. So You can get the CPU usage through Java code as well. Oh, can you? Okay, yep. I've never needed to. Um, that's pretty cool. Cool. Great. Handy, I suppose. Sweet. Okay, so we talked about Exchange Server or we ignored Exchange Server. Lazy yep. loading across client and server. That's another ORM-based. Yeah, but uh, I think there, I, I could be wrong. Um, I think this uses DP Hibernate under the hood. Um, it probably would. And I mean, most likely that feature, that lazy loading, would be used if people build flex frontends. Yeah. It's called Fusion yeah. ORM in the back or Air frontends or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is interesting. We'll see how many people are going to use that in the future. Um, but you know, it makes sense for that purpose because it allows you to actually do the lazy loading across yeah. your whole application, client, and server, which Just is for that for that use case quite useful, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm sure you must have something to say about the web service enhancements. Yeah, I like them. It's, you know, I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say. It's pretty much, it's overdue that they move to Access 2. Yeah. Um, I like the way how they have implemented. So it supports... Um, REST-based web services now as well. It supports Whistle 2. Um, it's quite yeah. nicely separated 
that basically when you use when you want to call a web service or when you want to publish a web service, you have an attribute um, WS version. Yeah. Um, and by WS version, you can specify, do you want to use the old web service access one style or access two style? And, you know, again, that's something they had to do because they wanted to con- create a certain level of backwards compatibility that you otherwise yeah. would lose if you just went with access two because access two is doing a few things quite differently. So that's, you know, all quite nice. I'm quite happy about that. What I haven't tried yet um, and what I really can't comment on is stuff like um, using a whole bunch of the advanced web service specifications like WS notification, WS encryption, all those things. They are in general supported by Access2, but I haven't had a look at all into how, how and how easy that would be possible with ColdFusion 10 now. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. Uh, the, the the REST web service stuff looks kind of interesting, like creating and how they've set up creating and registering and um, all that sort of stuff. I think that's that's quite interesting. It, it does. And I think it's a quite big and bold move to support that, right? For for a corporate, at least. Because, I mean, you've been to my WebDU talks about web services and what <laughs> I think of some of those web service specifications and, you know, where people should stick them from my point of view because it's basically a whole a whole industry of people and groups that define those web service specifications that have no concept of the reality sometimes from my point of view they are overblown specifications and you think like oh my god you know why would you... even even the rest ones i didn't think no, the, the rest, rest the rest ones that's what i'm saying the rest ones yeah. not the soap based ones right the soap based ones are shocking in some particular yep. ways and i find myself getting more and more away from using or you know supporting okay. any, supporting anything that is soap based because it's so it's so last century to be fair i mean you know yeah. it sounds totally traumatic but that's really what it is right a lot of the industries and a lot of the big vendors pushing still soap based web services haven't really but the, the 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 ring really that the world has moved on that pretty much yeah. everyone is doing rest nowadays so i find that really good that adobe is going to support rest based web services with confusion 10 so that from my point of view that's a really really good move because it makes it so much nicer to build uh proper rest based architectures really i mean that's what it yeah. is you know and that's another thing most people do not probably wouldn't even know that rest is actually more that http has more than um get and post that there yeah. are like four other verbs you can do quite awesome stuff with really yeah yeah you know, and from that point of view i'm quite happy about that yeah i'm quite curious to know exactly how much you know the move to tomcat also improved made it easier for them to implement because obviously they've got you know you end up with quite nice urls with the way they've set it up now um and i'm wondering if that having that ability made that a bit easy to implement yeah i think it would have um and particularly with i mean with access 2 i'm pretty sure yeah. the move to tomcat is you know is pretty much what has made that possible really because access 2 um ru- getting to run access 2 on jrun 4 is a, a major mission and then using some Just of those library incompatibilities yeah, and stuff and, and yeah exactly and then you know trying to use some of those additional specifications and like web service security libraries with access 2 on jrun it's not a lot of fun actually i don't i wouldn't want to have to do that in reality i tried 
and it took me ages to get some part of it going and then I just said like uh, it's not worth the time it's really. too hard it's too hard basically and I think the move to Tomcat has made a lot of that stuff possible in the first place that's fair enough um, media player yeah my personal opinion is whatever yeah I'd agree with that but I'm I don't not, do any of this stuff so yeah, that's the thing. it means I mean, nothing to me to me it's you know, it's it's one of those things in Cold Fusion that is fine that it's in there, but I personally wouldn't use it in Cold Fusion. If I want to have an HTML5-based media player, or if I yeah. wanted to have a Flash-based media player before, I implemented that as a yeah, Flash-based HTML-based like media player. stuff I find interesting to, you know, um, except for maybe, you know what, things like CF chart. Um, that's always handy because I could. That's just easy to drop in. But a lot of the UI stuff that comes in with yeah. with CF, I've always kind of gone, yeah, might yeah. As well just C- CF grid, CF diff. Yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of those tags. I where I think like, yeah, I I can see why people want to use that or why there is apparently a need for that in some use cases. Let's say you want to just throw out an app as quick as possible. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be customized. It doesn't have to be have to be have to be looking great. It just needs to work perfectly fine you know if you just want to spit out a video fine do it with video player and i mean you can even skin it so it's not bad you know like the integration in cold fusion 10 is not a bad thing but it's just for me like if i want to have a media player or if i want to have charts i use an appropriate library and then i can control it myself basically and i can do whatever i want with it that's yeah. my take on those ui things i pretty much use cold fusion and use the productivity features in cold fusion on on actual backend and processing functionality instead of UI functionality. Yeah, no, I understand that. I mean, I use the charting stuff. I mean, when we need, when I need to, I needed to write charts because it's easier. It's there, and you know, if you're not doing anything particularly complicated with your charting, um, I think that's quite useful. I mean, there's the, now the client side charting enhancements for CF10, um, which I think gives you a little bit more interactability. Inter- oh, geez, that's not even a word. Interactability. Um, with your charts, I've done similar stuff using. Uh, I can't remember the name of the chart. JQ Plot, I think, is the one I've used before, um, which which has worked quite well. Uh, so it should be interesting to see what's what's possible locally. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, there are tons of good third-party Java, uh, sorry, K, um, charting libraries out there. You know, particularly yeah. now that HTML and JavaScript become more popular again. Um, people build actually quite amazing stuff and quite easy to use stuff, which is you know just based on some CSS properties and then it draws all the stuff and it's just just it's easy to do. It's easy to do with from within Cold Fusion, but it's also easy to do if you want to use an external library for that nowadays. Yeah. It's, you know it's not rocket science anymore. Um, kick along through uh, caching enhancements. I'm glad um, to see the EH cache is now uh, application specific. Yeah, that is quite handy for a lot of stuff it's handy. I do um, from my point of view. the I haven't really had a look into some of the bugs in the old CF901 based caching that yeah. made clustered EH cache a bit tricky to do sometimes. And I would love if some of those things would be fixed in Cold Fusion 10. There was particularly one issue if you have um, a clustered EH cache... Uh, instance with terracotta and I think it was something like if one of your cold fusion servers went down without actually deregistering from that cluster oh page, yeah I think the whole thing ca- 
crashed. I remember then Mike you, Brown talking about that. Yeah, you can't get back into that cache even if you bring the Confusion server back up, and it's a bit it's a bit annoying actually. Yeah. So I would love to see that fixed properly, um, but I haven't tried that yet. But in terms of what they, you know, what they've done um, by providing new functions or you know extending and enhancing existing cache function, that looks quite good to me, and yeah. I'm you know quite interesting in in the H cache as a technology so I'm happy about any improvement they make there um, now there's a there's a list of random other enhancements uh, anything in there that particularly grabs you is as particularly interesting that you want to talk about I'm pretty sure you don't want to talk about interop with Microsoft Office 2010 <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'm damn excited no, I'm not excited about that at all to be honest um, what I think is quite interesting is um, the form fields with the same name. Yeah, I was going to say that too. <laughs> because that is one of those things that might throw people off, you know, if they are not aware of that. Yeah. Um, but I can so, see that being useful. Yeah, I can see it being useful as well. But, you know, some uh, in some instances, you might have a form with a lot of fields with the same name just because it's some legacy code and some magic logic is built on that feature that, you know, you could do oh, that. Oh, this is not a setting that you would turn on willy-nilly on, on an old application, I think. No, exactly. <laughs> you break I mean, stuff quite easily, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like this dot same form field as array yeah. equals true. But, you know, that you can do that makes it quite handy. And depending on what yeah. you do with the data, it's just easier to process afterwards. You know, you don't yeah. have to loop through some weird list that HTML f a form submit has, has created or something like that. Yeah, if I was working on a greenfield project, I think I'd, I'd turn this on. Yeah, most likely I would as well. Yeah, that makes um, perfect sense. So, uh, there's, there's, some, there's some admin enhancements as well, which is quite nice, but why don't we uh, move on from that, because I know you need to, to run shortly. But um, So, the, the interesting question is, obviously, you know, ColdFusion, got to pay for it. Um, you can upgrade. You know, um, what's your what's your feeling on whether it's compelling enough to uh, as an upgrade for based on what we're what we're seeing in Confusion Ten? So, I mean, you know, keep in mind that we don't know anything about licensing and pricing and all sure. those things at this stage, right? So, assuming that licensing and pricing doesn't change much, yeah, I could personally see quite a few good reasons for upgrading. Like particularly the Tomcat stuff, the web service stuff, um, the language enhancement and closures are quite nice. That mm. would be my main points personally. Um, web services, language enhancements, and Tomcat really. If you, it, I think it's a case of looking at the features list and making a decision: Do you yeah. want or do you need those features? To be honest, that's, I think, that's where I was coming from. You know, for for some of my clients. There is literally nothing in there which would make it worth upgrading. Yeah. To be quite fair, you know. For some other clients, there is a whole lot of stuff in there where I would recommend them to upgrade, saying, look, if we had that feature, you know, it will save us easily four weeks of development further down the track, you know, yeah. for, for example. So, you know, it's even financially a no brainer to upgrade. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I, but I again, it, it totally depends on what people are doing. If I look at it from a personal point of view, like, you know, let's say we have, uh, we do ice skating, right? Figure skating. And 
top mark you could give them is a 6.0 and worst is i don't know what the worst is in the figure skating actually is it a 1.0 why why figure skating where did figure skating come from i don't know I <laughs> this is like this is like the worst analogy i've ever heard coming out of your mouth but go on no let's let's no, finish no, this i, I want to see how I just, old. I just needed to come up with like a scoring mechanism right <laughs> so 6.0 or, 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 or one to ten how does that work you know like uh, that's no, simple no, enough you know the thing is with like one to ten you have to explain is it 10 points? Like, is 10 the best? Or is it mark 10? Oh my is 10 God. Worst? But with figure skating, everyone knows 6.0 is the best. So, yes, me, everyone knows, clearly. Let's not go into that. In <laughs> but anyway, um, I would probably, you know, on that figure rating scale, give it a mark between 4.5 and 5, depending on, you know, how much you want those features. Right. Fair enough. Does, do, do we, we're going to do like a degree of difficulty like you do in diving? Does that, is that how we're going to work? No, this but we can have two categories, artistic value and, you know, fulfilling the formal criteria of <laughs> providing certain jumps and stuff like that. <laughs> right. Oh, good. Yeah. Ow. Um, <laughs> well, apart from the ridiculousness, um, I think I have to agree with you. I think, I think this upgrade is not going to be something for everyone, I think. Um, I think it's really going to depend on exactly the sort of stuff you're doing. I can see a lot of companies just going, eh. Yeah. But I can see you know, a lot of companies that are like, you know what? I do a lot of stuff with the EHCash. You know, having these upgrades just yep. makes so much sense for us. Um, I was actually going through it. I was thinking about it. We do a lot of flex stuff. We want to be able to lazy load across client and server. Um, we, you know, with the inbuilt ORM, that makes sense as well. We do a heap of stuff with REST-based web services. You know, external APIs are how we live. That makes sense as well. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what the uptake really is on this, um, and what the sort of percentage of people upgrading really end up being. I think I think for a lot of people to move to Tomcat, uh, unless somebody does some metrics and sees some ridiculously huge performance enhancements, unless people have particular use cases for what Tomcat's going to do for them, um, I don't know if anyone's going to really care too much. The only other one that may actually be um, a big return on investment is the, and I actually can't see it on here, oh, server update, which we actually didn't talk about. Um, so being able to go into an admin, a, a CF server and go, update, and it comes down, downloads, installs itself, boom. That could actually be, you know, if you have a lot of servers and you've got a server admin that, that spends a lot of time doing this annoying crab um, that the CF update process is, that could actually be a return on investment in and of itself, you know. Yes, I agree. Taking, mm -hmm. Rather than taking a week to do twenty servers, you know, it takes them a day. That's that's a lot of money back to you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really going to be be dependent. But you know, I, I look at us for example, and you know, our, our servers are already managed. We don't pay any more money than you know what what we would do normally in terms of you know what our service and support is. So we don't care. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I totally so, hear you. So, uh, and that's, you know, that's what I was saying, basically. It really depends yeah. on the client and on the use case if I would recommend an upgrade. You know, for some of them, it's totally worth it. For some others, I would say, you know, you're probably using 30 different tags in your application and you're not using any of those new enhanced features to a yeah. degree that you could justify, you know, whatever, $2,000, $3,000 for an enterprise upgrade or something like that. So, yeah. you know, maybe wait or let's see how it goes and what happens further down the track so yeah it you know it depends but i agree it's definitely it doesn't seem to be an upgrade for everyone uh, you, you know people will probably look at certain features and say yeah i do that or i don't do that 
Yeah. So should be interesting to see. Um, so we do a call out to the events we'll either be at or talking about and stuff like that. And maybe we'll wrap up from there. Yes, that is really good. Um, I need to actually run quite quickly. So we just should maybe quickly mention the events and then yep. talk about you know some of them more detailed you know, our next recording, which is probably, you know, next week or in two weeks or something like that. So in early May, there's WebDU in Sydney coming up. And I just got an email from Jeff the other day. I think the early bird pricing finishes well, today or tomorrow or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it looks like a quite awesome conference again. Um, it's the 10th WebDU, if you count the first three years of MXDU. And um, I'm quite excited because it's my 10th time and my 10th time speaking, and I think I'm the only person left who has achieved that. Cool. Very nicely done. Uh, having a peek at the agenda. Um, yeah, in May as well, CF Objective in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the US, where I'll be presenting and speaking there. Um, this will be my fourth time speaking. Yeah. And then at the same... Yeah, it could be, could be about right. And the same on the same weekend actually is um, D2WC in Kansas City. So we are literally both going to be in the U.S. at a conference, but uh, just like different cities, about two thousand miles apart or something like that. Yep. And uh, we should probably announce that uh, CIF Objective ANZ will be happening uh, in November this year. Um, we've we've locked down some dates, but we haven't actually announced them yet. So we will do that in the near future. But do know it is definitely on. So, so more coffee and business. Yeah, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I know you need to run. So if people want to contact you, Kai, where can they do that? Um, the best option is Twitter, Agent K, or um, well, my blog, which I'm actually writing again. So I'm, I know. It's amazing. You know, awesome. Blogandblack.de or just send me an email to kai at ventigo-creative.co.nz. Great. And uh, if you want to reach me, I am Neurotic on Twitter. Um, that is my handle, not necessarily just my state of mind. Uh, also, if you want to read my blog, which I really need to update, uh, compoundtheory.com. Um, if you want to send me an email, mark.mandel at gmail.com. And uh, also, if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, 2DDU Podcast is our, is our handle on Twitter. So you can follow the podcast and get all the uh, news and interesting stuff going on there. Cool. Awesome. So... Um, then that's it for today. We had way more things on our list, but we're just rolling that over into the next recording, I think. Sounds good. Um, and it was a pleasure again to spend like an hour and uh, at this stage, nine minutes and 45 seconds with you. Um, <laughs> and I'll talk to you quite soon, Mark. Wonderful. Speak to you later. Cool. See you.